<laughs> Energize. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, it's, it's so good to be here, and I want to thank Pastor Joe and Pastor Barbara for inviting us, and uh, uh, we're just looking forward to being with you all, and I uh, believe God is going to kindle a fire in your heart that will burn like a flame that will not be still. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So, uh, oh, my wife stand up. This is, this is Pat. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you have to marry up, right? So she was Miss La Mesa, California, when I met her. And uh, that's, a, that's a suburb of San Diego. It's its own, own city, but it's next to part of San Diego County. And, uh, you know, with my past, I came from the other side of the tracks, and so it was a miracle that God even put us together. So, But uh, praise the Lord. So um, anyway, let's open up with a quick word of prayers as we get ready to... to start. Amen. Father, I thank you for this moment right now. I thank you that the power of your spirit is moving amongst these people. And I thank you, Lord, this is not an accident. What you're doing in this day and this hour, that, this, this, that we've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so I pray that the, you would flow through me with the words that need to be said, with the spirit, the impartation that needs to be poured out so that you can accomplish here to, in this place what you want to do. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I just got through watching for the third time, finishing for the third time on the airplane today, The Jesus Revolution. Has anybody seen that? I'll tell you what, I've seen it three times, and every time I see it, I can't stop from crying, which gets a little awkward when you're on an airplane. But the reason I cry is not because it's such great acting or anything, it's but because I live that, and it's real to me. And and it brings back a flood of emotions and memories about that special time in the move, the move of God that was happening in the 70s. And so the Jesus movement was hitting in the streets about the same time that the charismatic movement started hitting in the churches. And so I was saved, you know, I was raised Catholic and I was, you know, into drugs and witchcraft and occult and all kinds of mess, just like the brother was sharing. And I was a rebellious teenager. Had had uh, I was a ward of the state of California for five years, from 13 to 18, because I was breaking and entering and have, doing all kinds of stuff and running away and got expelled from school from making bombs, which they didn't take kindly to. <clears throat> they still don't know who blew up the toilet in high school. But anyway, <laughs> I uh, I was a ward of the state of California. I call, I caused my parents to have a lot of early gray hair, so that's probably why I have to do something with mine. But anyway. Uh, uh, but at 16 years old, I heard about these Jesus freaks in uh, California. And this was 1971. Now, don't start doing the math in your head. But, but uh, in 1971, uh, after looking for God in all the wrong places, trying all the, all the different things in the spiritual realm, because I was raised in a church where Jesus was a statue or a stained glass window, but there was no power. And I knew there had to be answers. I knew God was real. I just didn't know where he was. But I heard about these Jesus freaks, you know. So I, uh, I know I'll give you the short version, but I was getting ready to, uh, we were going to go buy some drugs in Laguna Beach, California, to take them back so we could sell them. We are going to buy some LSD. And uh, the night before I went up there to buy those drugs, I prayed. And I said, God, if you're real, have somebody talk to me about this Jesus movement, this thing that's going on. And so I took a New Testament with me in my pocket while we went up to buy drugs. And uh, <clears throat> I can tell you, do not try to read the Bible on LSD. 
all you, it doesn't work, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> but, but I went up there, and to buy it, we were five of us packed on a Volkswagen bug going up to Laguna Beach, California. We go to this Taco Bell, which was the big hangout in those days, hundreds of kids buying and selling drugs, and I sat down on the curb with two of my friends while the other two went to, with, with the pusher to go buy this stuff. And, and there was a crowd of people like this, and, and it's like, like the, the Red Sea parted and about where the back door is, a, uh, a little Hispanic man with a suit and tie came walking right up to me and knelt down and started sharing the gospel with me. And then he said, do you want to pray? And I didn't say yes because my friends were there, and I didn't say no because I knew my heart it was strangely warmed. So he just grabbed my hands and he prayed for me. And this warm peace came through me like warm honey flowing through my entire being. And then he left, and then we got our drugs, and we went. And so a friend of mine, we were going to sample the merchandise, so we camped out on the beach that night. And I took four times as much LSD as I'd ever taken, and I never got high. All I could feel was the peace of God that that guy prayed for me. My friend, he was acting crazier than a whatever. You know, I thought he was either he's putting this on or something's weird because I felt nothing. But all I could think about was God. And I had, took that Bible out on the beach as the sun was going down, and I thought, I'm going to give my life to Christ. And I found a place where these Jesus freaks were meeting. And uh, two weeks later, uh, I went to this house after school and with another friend and gave my life to the Lord. I said, I need Jesus. And they started trying to go through the Roman road to salvation. I said, you don't need to convince me. Just how do I get Jesus? You know? So they prayed, and that was March 9th of 1971. And uh, I, I, I was like a 500-pound weight just rolled off my back, and I felt totally free and clean. And the bathrooms at school, high school in that time, is where we did a lot of selling and buying drugs. And I was right back in that bathroom the next day, in that smoke-filled bathroom with blue smoke and all these drugs being passed around. I was just standing there, just watching. I didn't take nothing. I was just watching. And... Uh, they kept offering me stuff. I said, nope, 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 nope. And finally somebody said, what is with you? And I said, I found Jesus. Like, oh, no, another Jesus freak. And I said, that's right. And I was in their face. I put badges on, buttons on. I put bumper stickers all over my car. I was a Jesus freak. I had a big old cross. I was like a fool for the devil. And now I was going to be a fool for God. Amen. So that began my walk with the Lord. And then, you know, um, we... we began to hear about this lady called Catherine Coleman that had miracles happening. And so, uh, a long story short, I didn't plan on going this way, but I'll, I just want to give you a little bit sample of what was going on back in those days, because I believe that we're right there again. And uh, we heard about this lady had miracles happening up there in L.A. at the Shrine Auditorium once a month. Uh, and so I talked my dad into taking a bunch of us teenagers up there. Now, he, my dad wasn't saved yet, and he had gout, and uh, he was griping and complaining because he was in pain. And, he, and we, we had a house full of teenagers the night before, spending the night all over the house because he had a camper. So he drove us up there. I had to get up at 5 in the morning to drive three hours to L.A. to stand from 8 o'clock in the morning till noon, or you wouldn't get in because they turned away several thousand people because it only holds 7,000. And so we were, he was griping and complaining. They opened the doors at noon. We finally get in there, and we get all scattered because the crowd was just crazy, and I was way up in the nosebleed section. And when that lady came out and started doing her thing, you know, of course, Catherine was special. <laughs> oh, the, Jesus, you know. And my dad was going nuts. I didn't, I, wasn't, I didn't know where he was at. I was up in the back, but he told me this afterwards. But he's thinking, you know, first of all, he's Catholic, and she's a woman, and she, she's a Protestant, and she's weird. And so... <laughs> He's criticizing. He's in pain. 
But then all of a sudden, blind kids and deaf and dumb kids are getting healed, and people are getting out of wheelchairs, and people are getting off stretchers, and pacemakers are disappearing. All this stuff is going on. And my dad's saying, well, that can't be fake, especially when these little kids were seeing and hearing for the first time. So then pretty soon, he's getting all hot, and fire is burning up, and he's complaining, and Catherine stops and says, there's somebody three rows from the back, 13 seats over, you're being healed of gout. So my dad counts and realizes that's him. And so the usher comes over, a lady says, are you being healed? He says, well, I don't know. So she verified it a few minutes later, his swelling had gone, his pain had gone. So she said, you got to go up and testify. He said, I'm not going up there. She said, well, you got to, you know. So she, he went up on the stage and he's seeing people falling all over. And, and my dad used to be in the hypnosis. He used to hypnotize us as kids. He thought, that's not happening to me. Get, I can control myself. And the last thing he remembers is this skinny hand coming towards him, Jesus. <laughs> and then he sees a big light. And he thinks, I must have died. And then he realizes he's laying on his back on the stage looking at the stage lights. <laughs> As he comes to, totally healed, now he goes forward and gets saved at the altar call. And that began our family coming into this thing. And, uh, and then on the way home, this, the, that was an, another miracle that happened is we had a camper full of teenagers. And in those days, no cell phone, no email. And the fog started rolling in, you know, on the coast of San Diego. You get a lot of fog between L.A. and San Diego those, that time of year. And we couldn't see one line ahead of us in, in the car. And that, that's pretty scary if you've ever been that. And so he pulled over, and he gets on the intercom in the back of the camper, and he says, I don't know what to do because we can't drive in this, and we got all these teenagers, their, kid, their parents are going to be worried. We're going to have to pull over somewhere. And I said, well, let's just pray, you know, 16-year-old kid. Let's just pray. <clears throat> so he said, oh, okay. So we prayed. And then he started driving, and a tunnel opened up in the fog. And we drove from L.A. to San Diego in this tunnel, with, seeing all the way down the road. But this is the kind of environment that we were, came, we were born again into this. It was, a, it was a supernatural time. It was a legitimate, legitimate move of God. And then later, as, as the Jesus movement began to wane, it began to merge into the charismatic movement. So people like myself ended up going into churches. Catherine Coleman and David Wilkerson were people that, that were used of God to help bridge that gap, to bring the two movements together. And it was needed because once the Jesus movement was starting to wane, you know, those kids needed a place to go because we didn't have a lot of theology. It was basically Jesus loves you. That was our theology. <clears throat> and if it didn't move, we'd lay hands on it. If it did move, we'd cast it out. I mean, we, just, we, were, just, <laughs> we were just dumb enough to believe the Bible. As a matter of fact, you've seen the movie, right, when they laid hands on the car? That happened all the time. I have driven in cars with no gas. I've rode a motorcycle with no gas because we didn't have no, any money. We'd just lay hands on it and pray, and God, and God would just go, you know. We were just dumb enough to believe the Bible. But then, you know, you get older, you get edumacated, and then you, you're too smart for God sometimes. But I remember a few years back, I said, God, I be, I'll be stupid again. I'd rather have the power of God move than to have know everything and not see anything. Amen. I don't want to just know answers. I want to see stuff, right? So anyway, the, I, I got saved on, on this kind of, this was the move of God. And I, I cut my teeth on reading the Bible and Charles Finney. A, a revival uh, the, 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 the encounter with God was so real to me that I, I you know, Catherine Coleman's meetings ruined me because I, I, the presence of God, I mean, the miracles were outstanding, but that's not what got me. What got me was God was in the room. And so that ruined me because I couldn't go to other meetings and just watch people try to pump it up and hype it up. It's like, no, 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 he's real. Hallelujah. 
And there was such an atmosphere. You know, Brother Hagen talks about the healing revival, how the atmosphere was pregnant with the, the healing power of God. It was easy to get people healed. And in the charismatic movement, it was easy to get people baptized in the Holy Ghost. And, and there was miracles and healing. And in the, in the Jesus movement, it was easy to get people saved and healed. And, and it was an atmosphere. It was a move of God. And I'm telling you this because it's been 51 years since I got saved. And it's interesting that this movie comes out. And at the same time, the Asbury revival hit. Yes. It's like these are rumblings of what God is doing. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. When the Asbury revival hit, all the Facebook Pharisees started coming out. All the Facebook theologians. I started seeing Word of Faith and other people on there criticizing something they've never even been to. And they've never even been in a move of God. And they're criticizing it. And I heard somebody the other day say, don't criticize an acorn just because he's not a tree. Amen. We're seeing rumblings now because God is on the move. And I'm sensing stuff that I haven't sensed for 50 years. That the atmosphere is becoming charged with the very tangible presence of God. Because we are coming into, I believe, the final great move and demonstration of God in these last days. You know, with what's going on in the world, it is actually fueling the hunger. It is so easy to talk to people in America today about Jesus. Because there's such a hunger. There, there's, a, there's people that, are, that know that something is off, something's wrong, and they're, they're opened. They, you know, you, of course, you've got your core wicked people that are just, you know, hell-bent on going to hell. But for the most people, the majority of the people are scratching their heads and saying, what is happening in America? What is happening in the world today? And there's a great hunger that's coming upon the people. Now, there's a law of spiritual hunger that John G. Lake talks about. And, you know, when there's hunger, it attracts the food. When birds are hungry, you know, they don't worry. They just, God just leads them to food. You know, you throw a french fry out the window and a bird will show up. Because God just leads them. The, the, the law of hunger leads them to where they're going to find what they want. And it's the same thing spiritually. There's a law of hunger that when God's people get hungry and when the world begins to get hungry for the real, that it's going to attract the presence of God. Did you know that rain doesn't fall from the clouds? You think, this guy's lost it now. He's a doctor. <laughs> no. no, rain doesn't fall from the clouds. It's pulled out of the clouds by gravity. And spiritual hunger is a gravity that pulls the move of God. It pulls the revival. It pulls an awakening into society. God doesn't just have a day on a calendar that says, okay, I'm going to send a revival on such and such a day. No, he is waiting on us. He's given us the keys of the kingdom, and he's waiting on us. He responds to prayer. John Wesley said, it seems that God will do nothing except an answer to believing prayer. God has limited himself to work through the church. He's given us all authority with himself. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. And he's given it to us. He said, now go. He's commissioned us. He told us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And yet, in the last few years with this pandemic, excuse me, pandemic, <laughs> it seems that the gates of hell were beating the fire out of the church. Because a lot of churches just all of a sudden, poof, overnight, it's like they were in fear, they were in panic. And yet, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church right on this rock. 
And that rock, and it was literally the place in Caesarea Philippi where the gates of hell was located, the cave where all the demon worship was taking place. He said, I'm going to build my church right on this rock, and the gates of hell cannot stop it. And then six days later, he goes up to Mount Hermon and is transfigured as just to say, throw a gavel down before the devil and say, I'm coming for my earth. I'm coming for the kingdoms of this earth. I'm taking back the kingdoms of this earth. Amen. But Jesus did not come to create a wimpy church. He came to make us overcomers. He came to, for us to be change agents in the evil world around us. He told us to go into the gates of hell, and, it, and they cannot stop us. Hallelujah. It's a victorious, triumphant church that Jesus has. I'm getting whew, off my message. But anyway, it all ties in together. I want to talk about contending for a revival, for an awakening, and for a move of God. What's the difference between the three? There is revival, there is awakening, and there is a move of God. Revival has to do with something. You can't revive something unless it's been vived. You know, revive means to bring back to life. So it's something that once was alive but now is not. And then you hear uh, these blessed Facebook Pharisees, Facebook theologians. They're getting on there with all their great wisdom or whether they're talking about revival and talking about why, you know, revival is not even in the Bible. Well, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible either. The word rapture is not in the Bible either. The word church Sunday school is not in the Bible either. Bus ministry is not in the Bible. There's a whole lot of things that aren't in the Bible, but we know that they're godly things that we do, right? Revival, they say, is not in the Bible, but I beg to differ. In the book of Revelations, Jesus had a few things to say to some churches that were not quite living up to par. And he, he talked to the church in Ephesus. And he said in chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 4 and 5, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly, and will remove your candlestick, except you repent. That sounds like revival to me. You once had something, you don't have it now, get back to what you once had. Revive. And then in chapter 3, he's talking to the church of Sardis. In chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, he says, uh, To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you live, and you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember how you have received and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So, to me, that sounds a lot like revival. The definition of revival is to restore to life or consciousness. I think there's some, some of our blessed friends in, in the church are unconscious today. <laughs> but to restore to life or consciousness, to give new life or strength, to restore interest or popularity of, to improve the position or condition of. That sounds a lot like what Jesus is talking to these churches about, that they were not where they should have been. They were once, do you realize the very first church there, Ephesus, was the one that Paul wrote to and told them about the authority of the believer, their position in Christ and who they were seated in heavenly places and told them all of these wonderful truths about the, the, our position in Christ. And this was some 40 or so years later, 
Now Paul's long gone, already been martyred. John's receiving this revelation, and Jesus is rebuking that church because they lost their first love. They needed revival. So revival is definitely something in the Word of God. In the book of, uh, uh, well, let's see, Revelation chapter 3, continuing there, in chapter 17, uh, excuse me, 3 verse 17, he's talking to Laodicea. <laughs> we all know about that church. Because you say, I am rich, I am increased with goods, I have need of nothing, and know not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment. Well, we know gold stands for faith. We know right raiment stands for the righteousness of the saints. And that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. And anoint your eyes with eyes salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. This was a church that thought they had it all together. That's pretty scary. Because today, in a lot of the church world, I think people are at that place where they think, well, we've got our, we've got our smoke machines and skinny jeans and high-tech sound systems, and we've got our, you know, uh, everything is, you know, is just professional, and yet there's no power. There's no glory. And they think, you know, they've, that they're doing good, because they're measuring themselves by the standard of the world. But he said, you think you're rich, but you don't even realize. Your eyes can't see. And one thing about awakening, we talk about revival and awakening and the move of God. When you get to the stage of awakening, it means you awake, not woke. <laughs> There's an awakening going on in the world, but God's bringing an awakening. And there's a song from a guy that used to be back from the Jesus movement. He was one of those prophets of his day who's been in heaven for a while, Keith Green. But he wrote a song. He said, like waking up from the longest dream, how real it seemed until your love broke through. I was lost in a fantasy that blinded me until your love broke through. When you, become, when you come into an awakening, all of a sudden things that you thought were okay, now you realize they're not okay. You begin to awaken to things. You begin to awaken to things in your own life. It's a dangerous thing to pray for revival. Let me just challenge you. If you want to pray for revival and a move of God, you better get ready because he's going to start reviving you. And when you start awakening yourself, all of a sudden you realize that what you thought was cool where you were at, that you thought everything was just hunky-dory, all of a sudden you're seeing things from a different light, and you realize, oh, man, I've got to make some adjustments. I've got to make some changes. I've got to get some things lined up. I've got to get back into some things that God wants me to do. I've got to get my priorities realigned. When you start coming into an awakening, it's like coming out of a dream. You know those dreams you have that are so real? Sometimes they can be really good ones. Sometimes they can be really bad ones. But when you wake up, you go, it was just a dream. I remember, you know, there's some dreams I had when I was first saved. I dreamt I was doing drugs again. And I woke up and I thought, oh, thank God it was just a dream. You know, it seemed so real until I woke up. And when you have an, a, spiritual, a spiritual awakening, it's like all of a sudden your life is interrupted because it's like coming out of the matrix. You took the red pill. And now you realize everything you thought was normal Christianity is now, uh-oh, there's a whole other reality. Listen, if we want to see God move like we've never seen him before, see him move before, we've got to be willing to do and go and be what we've never been before. We've got to be willing to, to, to go beyond our comfort zone 
to get into that place. How was that Star Trek thing go? Boldly go where, Boldly go where, where you've never been before. <laughs> Hallelujah. So revival is, is, is when it starts with the church. When that which was once alive begins to be woken up. Hallelujah. In, in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, however you want to say that, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. <laughs> uh, glory to God. Let's look at, uh, where is that here? Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. I thought I had it written down, but I can look it up. Habakkuk 3, verse 2. And actually, let's look at uh, verse, I think, 1 and 2. Habakkuk. 3. Uh, prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon the, that musical instrument. That's, if, if you have trouble speaking in tongues, just say that word. It's shigadio or whatever it is. He said, O Lord, I have heard your speech, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he was crying out for revival. And then in Hosea, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Hosea 6, verse 1 and 2. Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn, and he will heal us. He has smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and in the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Now, that's prophetic about messianic times and so forth, but there's a principle in there about being revived. You know, the whole nation of Israel needed to be revived after they went into captivity, and God sent restoration through the hands of Nehemiah and Ezra and then the prophets Zechariah and Haggai and so forth began to help them restore. It was a rebuilding process, but it was a, it was a national revival. So revival, the principle of revival, you, don't, you don't, may not see the word revival in the New Testament, but we see it in the Old Testament, but the principle of revival is the same. When the people of God have lost their zeal, have lost their love, have lost their way, but then they return and come back to the Lord. That's revival. Amen? And that starts with the believer. The world doesn't get revived. They've never been revived. They got to come alive. But it starts with the church. And Peter said the judgment starts in the house of God. And we think of that in a terrible negative sense, but the judgment is when you realize, uh-oh, we need to change. Uh-oh, we need something different. Uh-oh, we can't live status quo like we've been. We must move on into the things of God. And when revival starts hitting the church, then it can get into what's called awakening, which will affect not only the church, but also the world. In the Romans chapter 13, 11, Paul said this. Hallelujah. And my, my notes are off. So anyway, Romans 13, 11. Uh, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. That's talking to Christians. For our salvation is nearer than when we believed. Well, if that was true then, it must be really true now. He's talking to Christians. It's time to awaken out of sleep. There, when awakening happens... 
like I said, it's like what you thought was real and normal before all of a sudden gets shaken because now you come into a new reality that God is putting demands on your life. God is calling you to step up higher. God is calling you to line up your life and your will and your purpose with His. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> but awakening also hits the sinner too. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul said, Wherefore, he says, awake thou that sleeps and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee life, light. He's talking to the world there, awake, because they're, they're spiritually asleep. So awakening, a revival hits the church, the Christians. But awakening hits not only the church world, but then it begins to spill into the secular world, where all of a sudden now the world is starting to wake up. Believe me, it's happening right now. I have a report here. You think, you know, things... If, you, if all you get, your information is from the news, you need to fast and pray. <laughs> Listen, you might have seen this poll. And actually, I saw on the airplane they were talking about it on CNN, of all places, on the airplane today. A shock poll that just came out. America is turning conservative. And it's, the young people are leading it against the social things like transgenderism and, and uh, abortion and all this stuff. It's the millennials and the Generation Z that are turning more conservative. That tells me there's an awakening that's starting to happen. That tells me the tide is starting to turn. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. And I could, I could look at some other, other statistics that are coming out about Generation Z. Oh, you hear these things that People are leaving the church world. See, the latter rain's already happening. <laughs> the people are leaving the churches. You know, these polls that come out late, lately that Christianity's declining. That's not the whole truth. They're not telling you. You've got to read between the lines. You've got to read the entire report. Traditional churches are declining. Traditional Christianity's declining. But the one segment that's exploding in growth is the, what's called the charismatic slash Pentecostal move of God. Why is that? Because people want the power of God. They want the real. They want the presence of God. There's an awakening that's happening. It's going to get worse for the devil. So a lot of times all we see is we hear the news. We hear what they say. They're the prophets of doom. But what's happening is on the groundswell, the majority of the people... That are saying, this isn't right. This isn't right. This is crazy. Something's happening. And they're looking for God. This is our finest hour. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Because people are hungry. Do not be afraid to share the gospel with anybody nowadays. Whether you're at the grocery store, the gas station, or wherever you're at work, do not be ashamed. It's your time to speak up. Because people are hungry. Yeah, there's loud mouths out there, but they get all the tension. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? But the majority of people are like scratching their heads wondering what's going on. And you've got the answer. So awakening is starting to happen. Awakenings like what happened in Charles Finney's day when they would go into a town and after they got done with several weeks of a revival that all the bars would be closed, the theaters would shut down and that nobody would go anymore. It wasn't because people out there picketing them or preaching against them. It's just they were interested in God. Amen. And then they, they were not interested in those things anymore. That's when a society begins to be, get infected and affected by awakening. 
and it's happening, people. Listen, in the Jesus revolution, the Jesus movement, it hit all the major media outlets of the day, Time, Life, Look Magazine, ABC, NBC, CBS, and it hit all the different papers because it caught them by surprise, and it was a shock. And it altered the culture of our nation. It took us into the 80s, which changed the direction of our nation and turned it to the right, to, to conservative for, a, for a, 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 a few decades. This time around, they're not stupid. I will tell you that from what I'm hearing, what I've been reading, and people that are out there, that what happened at Asbury has not stopped in other places. It is spreading but the media is purposely blacking it out because they fear a revival. Because a revival, you know, Satan can plan for 100 years to line up his strategies and line up his, his agenda, and all it takes is one move of God to destroy. 100 years of his work, of his plans, one move of God will blow it out the window because nobody's interested. They, get, they want the God. They're hungry for God, and then all those things fall away. So the media is definitely blacking out what's happening. They're not going to cover it because they are deathly afraid of God. And they're deathly afraid of a move of God. But I'm telling you, it's on. And their blackout, they're ignoring it, or their bad pressing it is not going to stop God. It's just going to keep growing because it's going from revival to awakening to the last thing is a move of God. And when it becomes a move of God, then it's unstoppable. Then no devil, no man, no denomination, no group is going to stop it. When the Jesus movement hit, some scholars think that was the greatest move that ever hit America. I don't know, but I do know this. It impacted from coast to coast, from island to island, and spread to other nations. And generation of young people, the hippies, the druggies, the ones that were the rejects of society, were now putting the church world to shame. Let me just ask you a question. What's going to happen when the Holy Ghost starts falling on the transgenders and the gays and the gang members and everything else, and they're going to be coming around here looking for answers? We got married at the second largest church in San Diego, but it wasn't always that way. It was a little bitty Assembly God church, about two, 400 people on the side of the freeway for many, many years. But the Jesus movement hit in San Diego. And the pastor's son is my age. He got into drugs like I did. He was doing the stuff I was doing. And when he got saved in the Jesus movement, his father, the pastor, said to his congregation, I don't care what these people smell like, what they look like. If they haven't taken a bath, they come in here barefoot, long hair, wearing beads. I don't care. We're going to open our church to these people. And he grew to be a small little congregation to the second largest church in San Diego because he recognized the move of God. I'm, I, I, we're going to have to be ready because there's a broken generation out there that is being messed up. The children are being messed up. They're being indoctrinated and they're being surgically mutilated. And, and the, the damage that's being done from what we're seeing from those that are detransitioning, they are going to need a church that's ready to handle them when they come crying out for God because they're going to come in by the, ton, by the boatloads. And those churches that recognize what God is doing is going to be able to take that and guide them into the very healing presence of God. Hallelujah. So we got revival in the church. We got awakening in the church, and then it starts hitting society, and then it becomes a move of God that is 
unstoppable. There's a saying that when, when the tide is low, every fish has its own puddle. But when the tide rises, the puddles go away, and it's one big ocean. And I say this, when a church isn't in revival mode, it's in survival mode. And you get all kinds of gimmicks and programs and everything else to try to duplicate what can only be done by the presence of God. I'm not saying programs are wrong and all that, but you, you know what I'm saying. We, if you don't have the presence of God, then those programs are not going to generate the life. It's the presence of God that we need. It's the, it's the move of God that we need. And, the, and when the, the tide is low, you're in survival mode and every fish is guarding their own little puddle. But when the tide starts rising, you guys are from the coast around here, you know what that's like. When the tide starts rising, those little puddles go away, and those little fish is no longer in their little puddle, but now just the whole ocean is, is, is covering everything, and it's one big ocean. And I'm telling you, the tide is rising, and the move of God is on. And it's going to get so bad for the devil that the news media is not going to be able to but help but share what's going on. The other day on Fox News, which I'm not really fond of Fox News lately, but on Fox News, there was two of the hosts were openly discussing Jesus Christ and openly talking about what's happening in the world and talking about, you know, Jesus on the news. It wasn't an evangelistic program. It was a news program, and they're talking about Jesus and, the th and what's going on. This is going to permeate every bit of our society. So now my question for you is this, as we close this up, get ready to wrap this up, because I could go on and on, and there's so much more I wish I could share. But I didn't just come here to give you information. I didn't even just come to give you inspiration. But I want you to receive impartation. I want you to begin to open up your heart for the fire of God to fall upon your life. But let me warn you, it's a dangerous prayer because all of a sudden he's going to start talking about your life. He might try to tell you some things that you need to tighten up, let go, change, alter, do different. One of the signs of revival when it hits is restitution. Relationships get restored because people repent to each other. Reconciliation. Did you know in the Welsh revival... They had to build barns to handle all the tools that were returned from the miners that had stolen them. They didn't have storehouses big enough. They had to build new barns to handle all the tools that they brought back because they were now saved. They had to get new mules because the mules would no longer listen to their commands because they weren't cursing anymore. <laughs> True story. In Wales, they had to get new mules because they didn't understand uh, uh, commands that weren't full of cuss words. But when revival and awakening and a move of God hits, it alters the culture. It changes things. Revival is not so Christians can run around and have goosebumps and, and shout. That's just the effect. But revival and awakening and a move of God is when it affects the culture. It affects the loss. It brings in the loss. And God is interested in souls. If you would stand up with me, I want to pray for you. And I, I want you, I want to pray that God impart something into you tonight. I believe the Holy Spirit is here. I know he is. And I know that we're all brought to the, we are living in the best day ever. 
You know, the ones that came in at the last hour for the harvest got the same reward as the ones that worked all day. We're at the last moment of this thing. God has, he's, say, he's saying to you like he did in that parable, why are you sitting around idle? Well, no man has hired us. Go out and I'll pay you what you, go out in that last hour of harvest, get out there. He's looking for labors. It's never been about the harvest. It's always been about the labors. He's looking for labors. That's one reason why, you know, some of us have gone to Rama Bible Training College and we train labors. But the harvest has always been there. It's the labors he needs. And God wants you to be a laborer. You say, well, I don't feel called to ministry. I'm not, you don't have to be in the ministry, but you are a light to your world. And you have life in you that can help your fellow worker, your, the gas station attendant, the, the grocery store clerk. You, you can pray for people. If you want God to light a fire in you, I want you to just lift your hands up to God right now and say, God, let revival start in me. Awaken me and cause me to rise up out of my sleep. Set a fire in me that will not be quenched. I yield myself to you. Use me, Use me with your love, with your love to, reach to reach the world around me. I believe it to be so. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Do you believe that? All right. Now get ready. Get ready. Because God's going to begin to speak to you. And he might start shining the light on some things. And it's like you realize, maybe I haven't been treating my wife right or my husband right. Or maybe I've been doing this or that. And he's saying, we need to take care of that. Then you just don't freak out. You yield to the Holy Spirit. Satan. You're not the doctor. He is. He's just exposing the problem. And when he shows you something, just say, okay, you got it. I belong to you. But make me a vessel. And you're, we're going to see a move of God, a Jesus movement that's going to far outshine any past Jesus movement, any past revival. I believe what we're coming into, all the streams are getting ready to flow together into one deluge of a mighty flood of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Pastor.